We'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. Fucking thing sucks. All right, everybody. It's a live show for this week. So this week we got myself, Mike he, him from the Turn Leftist Podcast. We got Nick he, him from the Intervention Podcast. We got Brandon he, him and Brian he, him from the Cars and Comrades Podcast. And we got our comrade from the Rootin' for Lennon YouTube channel he, him. How's everyone doing this week? We got plenty to talk about. Let's get to it. What's going on? Pretty good. Yeah. yeah Ready yeah. to go to brunch. I mean, funny time, you guys, but. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, the first thing that I was going to bring was just the results of the uh, the midterm election. I think that's probably the thing in the regular media the most. And I don't know. I don't have a single number. I don't know like what the majority of seats is anymore. I don't know because uh, I think there are still some elections that haven't been decided. Yet. I believe they're still counting. This is Sunday night that we're recording. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't care. I'm just going purely by vibes here. But the impression that I'm getting is that the Dems are happy and the Republicans are seething. So there was not the red wave that they were expecting at the very least. And maybe there was some hint of a blue wave. But uh, yeah, to that end, so we expect everything to get like super good right away, right? Like there's not going to be a whole bunch of like compromising with Republicans. There's not going to be a whole bunch of fake bureaucracy that holds the Dems back and all the stuff that they promised two weeks ago. They're actually going to get all that stuff done. And all the liberals who said that you could vote and also do direct action and organizing are definitely going to do that direct action and organizing, right? Like that's going to happen. So I don't know. Anybody have any predictions as to how that's going to go? I expect that we're going to have Roe v. Wade codified into law any, any day now. Dude, in yeah. like five minutes. Before we publish this episode, it's already going to be <laughs> off. Yeah, because they don't even need Georgia. I think Nevada just came in a little bit earlier. And so they've got the 50, you know, they haven't lost the Senate. So, I mean, Brandon, to your point, that should be incoming imminently. You know, I, I understand the reasons why they couldn't have done it before with 50, but now it's definitely going to be different, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'm Things sure. Things are different now than they were back when they were completely, like, identically the same. <laughs> yeah. Or like when uh, there was an even bigger majority under Obama, you know? Mm -hmm. It's different, Jack. You got dark, you got dark Brandon now. <laughs> The big result here of the midterms was that we finally got rid of the parliamentarian, I believe. I think that's something that I saw in the news somewhere. But, I mean, that was probably the big stumbling block. But, I don't know. I mean, I put something in the chat earlier the, this week, and I saw some people, like, reacting in a way to the obvious sentiment that I was putting out. And I think a few other people, it's obviously not just me, were saying how useless voting is in, like, fucking bourgeois democracy. And then people were posting about how they voted, and they were like, okay, go, get mad about it, you commies, or you fucking, like, online commies. It's like... Uh, yeah, I mean, I could definitely address the fact that like there is no amount of in real life organizing or direct or direct action that I could be doing that would make it okay for me to be saying what I'm saying in everyone's eyes. You know what I mean? Like there, someone out there is doing more direct action and organizing than I am, obviously, probably most people. And so obviously I'm sitting here on a podcast at a desk. It's like, yeah, of course, I don't really have the, uh, the rights to be saying that, but I am. This is what I do. It's like I put out my opinions online and people listen to them you know you don't you definitely don't have to if you don't want to but if i were to like prove in some way what i am doing to justify the things that i'm saying i would just be doxing myself and then it also still would not satisfy the people who would criticize me and all i will say to the people who would say that i'm angry that they voted i'm not angry at all like i just think it it was pretty useless but sorry brandon oh no it's fine uh I, I was just going to say, I, I think that everyone should vote and they should go vote Democrat so that we have like 100 percent of the House and Senate and uh, the president's a Democrat and everything just so that everyone can see what that gets them. 
the thing of in what adds on to what Brandon said is uh oh and by the way this is rooting but um what adds on to what Brandon said is that if you do vote let's say like Mike said you know if you do vote and you vote let's say something that you want so for example if you vote let's say Socialist Workers Party of America which is a you know Trotskyist but they also have direct ties to the Communist Party in Cuba for some odd reason so they're like crypto MLs like Workers World and PSL um by the way, they have a big electoral presence in California. They get like seven to 10,000 votes in a lot of areas of the country, right? And they get like 15, 20%. They're going to be, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be maligned as a spoiler. I have an ML friend. She goes to Georgetown University and she told people that she voted for, I don't, I think you may know this guy. His name's Eugene Perrier. Mm hmm. Um, he was PSL vice presidential candidate. He voted for him when she was running for the D.C. Uh, city council or whatever, or like I think one of the, either the Congress or whatever um, against Mariel Browser. And she was maligned by the liberal bourgeois, you know, activist industrial complex, you know, and they were calling her a spoiler. They were saying that. And, you know, she was a white woman. And, you know, I also say that they and I point that out because they were also attacking her as a white leftist and that she's privileged to have left-wing opinions, which is the most sociopathic thing you can tell somebody because the most iconic revolutionaries are people of color. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, like, um, and, and I think that's what I would add on to what Brandon and Mike said is like, even if you are as a leftist pushing for leftist policies, like for me, I vote green party. Cause that's like a moderate option and a realist. It's a realistic option. And I still get maligned. Like I voted for my Green Party person in uh, Virginia and I got shitted on by like my liberal friends because they just, they don't even want to talk to you, engage with you if you vote for Green Party in some cases or whatever yeah. in their left party. And they're more, guess this, get this, they're way more rude to you than you if you were to vote for Republican. Like it's really weird. Like liberals, they, they, they just want to have a moral majority in every conversation. Because so like, they see you as it. like a lost Democrat vote, not something that they had to like fight against. Like they, I've, yeah. I've seen that them do that. Would you have Brandon? Yeah. Oh, I, I was just going to like add, add on to that, just how funny it is when like, like Democrats are so like, get out and vote, get out and vote. Everybody should vote. And it's like, well, you know, you like, you're not getting across the point that you think you're getting across because what you mean and you think is understood is vote Democrat. But you're encouraging everyone to vote. So I go out and vote just like you tell me to, and I don't vote for your candidates. So now I'm a piece of shit more so than if I hadn't voted. Or as uh, uh, Rootin' for Lennon commented, that uh, if I voted Republican, they would, I, they would then just dismiss me. But they take ownership over anyone uh, left of them, which, I mean, in a sense, kind of is reasonable because they view themselves as the left party so they think that they should cover for everyone left of them but that's batshit crazy they don't have any values that i have yeah would you have brian um i i forget the name of that party that uh rooting for lenin that you mentioned the the trotskyist socialist workers party yeah uh, I, SWP. I, I think they actually did um it sort of foil quote an election this year um, that was very close between a Republican and a Democrat. Uh, but as other people have pointed out, like, hey, maybe the Democrats could, like, you know, reach out to those people and, like, offer them something uh, in return for their vote, you know? Um, but I, like you said, Mike, I think on, on a post or something, like, 
it's all our fault as communists. You know, it, the blame is entirely on us, not the not the Republicans or anything. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, I mean, I don't want to talk about the whole electoralism thing for very long, because, again, I don't view it as important. And we also have plenty of other things to talk about tonight. But so I will just wrap up my portion of it by saying that I am perfectly happy admitting that I am too far left for the Democratic Party. They've alienated me. That is a conscious part of their policy, as in chasing the mythical moderate Republican, constantly moving to right to the right to win these swing voters over, and thinking that they either have my vote intrinsically because I am, you know, left of the liberals, or that if I'm too idealistic for them, they can afford to lose my vote. So that's where I am. And I'm perfectly fine admitting that their strategy has failed me. And so therefore they can't get mad that I'm not voting for them because it has been part of their policy. And just like I was saying earlier in the Discord, I'm not angry about anybody who did vote. If you voted in your local elections for a particular uh, situation where they were really going to materially hurt some marginalized people in your community, I hope that you did vote. And I hope that that one vote of yours did make a difference. Um, I just remain skeptical that the Democrat politician you ele elected will actually follow through on their promises to help the people that you want them to help. And if it comes down to like a referendum or something, of course, yeah, go and vote. But I'm precisely as angry at your vote as I am about you eating breakfast. I just feel like both are as politically productive. They just, it's the same thing. I just hope you actually go and do the things that you said you would also do in addition to voting when you were condemning me for my stance online. And again, breakfast is the most important vote of the day. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that, that's all to say. This is, of course, all online discourse. It's a podcast. So take it with a grain of salt for that. So what'd you have, Nick? No, I mean, just to the point of who they're actually targeting or who they're actually missing with their outreach. I mean, one thing that I have noticed, and I have a hard time actually quantifying it, but it seems to me from what I've seen that, you know, these progressive ballot measures, like, for example, combating um, anti-abortion legislation in, you know, a given state, those type of things seem to be doing well, but there's a lot of like incoherency between, you know, this thing that on a ballot measure that Democrats would ostensibly support across the board and their actual performance, because you know what, they're, they're basically chalking up as a victory, the fact that they didn't get fucking blown out, right? But, yeah. you know, so, I mean, the point is that maybe, again, something we've all said before, just maybe if they actually moved to the left and actually, you know, fought for some more progressive ideas even harder, they could actually perform better. I don't know. Sounds crazy, but. That's actually the even better take. Like that is the last thing I'll say. And I kind of wanted to avoid it because it is the Chapo take. Like if anybody listened to the most recent Chapo, so they talked about the midterms, they called it and they said that the Republicans got too crazy. They just got too confident. They overplayed their hand and they went too in on the, the sickos stuff, like went too in on the obvious persecution of trans people and gay people, saying that they're going to outlaw gay marriage and all the shit that they were saying, and really relying on the disgust that people have for people who are different than them, and hoping that they really just had enough bigots everywhere that they could get all their agendas passed. And that is the big message from the way people voted in this midterm, was that they rejected that message. People actually do, for the most part, just either not care about gay people, or they just don't view it as an issue that they need to really persecute these people for like they would rather just live and let live which is actually how most people feel and again to your point nick proves that like if you actually want to win people over you should be moving further left because most people actually do view the view these things the way that we do uh what would you have brandon yeah i was just gonna say i, I think i saw this a few weeks ago when uh desantis is like shipping immigrants to like martha's vineyard bullshit went off and like 
he had presidential momentum up, I feel like up till that point, because uh, I think most people in their heart aren't cruel. They want to do what is good. It just so have or what is right. It just so happens that there's a wide array of what people think is right. But when you do something that's objectively like intended to be cruel, people don't usually dig that except for the sickest like psychos. And I think more people started seeing that and saying like, yeah, yeah. no, I don't. I don't necessarily want to support the open psychopath. I prefer the closeted psychopath. Yeah, and the thing is, is like, I'm sorry if I, you were about to say something, Mike, but um, the thing is, is like, you know what the Republicans are going to do? It's just like the 90s with the gay scare and the Satanism scare that the right was on. They're, what they're going to do is they're going to let liberals and Democrats and moderate Republicans take over. They're going to wait for people to get upset with neoliberalism, just like with Obama. And then they're going to go back to their rah-rah, sicko bullshit. Like, it's just, it's a, it's, it's like what Mark Twain once said, like, history doesn't repeat itself in rhymes. Like, why do you think, well, Trump came along on the right so easily? He was able yeah. to wait for uh, what, what right-wingers called the Reno, Republican in name only, R-I-N-O. Mm -hmm them to get very annoying and boring and then trump comes out of nowhere he comes like a fucking han solo at the fucking uh mos eisley cantina like all it takes is for him to walk right in desantis is going to do the exact same thing trump is but you know what's beautiful i think trump and desantis are going to cause a, a civil war amongst the american right Ron, <laughs> that, that, that's going to fucking happen because trump's already announced he's running that's the only thing that's going to save the democrats but the thing is the democrats they have to they literally have to do a fucking Khmer Rouge or fucking, uh, what's it called? Uh, no, Khmer Rouge style purge of all these fucking Biden era, like fucking uh, Biden uh, legacy fucking politicians. Kamala, uh, Booty Edge, whatever the fuck. Like, you can't run these people. People hate them within their own base. Democrats already hate Kamala Harris. Yeah, but she couldn't even hold that's on, who hold they are. Like, to counter your point, Brandon. Uh, the one thing I do know about Republicans winning or losing was that Ron DeSantis won big. And as much as people may hate the overall Republican message and how they're just the Christian paranoid moms in the Midwest now, like all of them, uh, he's the one who did win out. And his message, you know, that secured kind of his place as the a presidential possible for 2024. In, in Florida. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this, the most um, psycho place. Well, yeah, of course, but I mean, they're they're that's where people are going. Like, if you do not believe in climate change, people are they're moving to Florida now. They've been doing it for years because they feel like that is their haven. But the feud between him and Trump is fantastic. Like, I I don't know that could actually convince me to talk about this a little bit longer. If you want to talk about the fucking feud between them, would you have Nick? Oh, no, yeah. I'm just gonna say, but this is why, but that's why DeSantis is going to do well, right? And I think actually he may benefit from distancing himself from Trump just a little bit. You know what I mean? Because DeSantis is a sicko in his policies and his ideology. And he actually believes in a project, I think, in a lot of ways, in a way that Trump might not, in the sense that Trump just is the, the uber reactionary, where he is literally just reacting to things as they come across. I think DeSantis can get behind a specific project, right? And he also lends himself to a little bit of this idea of like respectability that some neocons who rejected like the most sick, you know, MAGA, MAGA Republicans that got put up there, like Trump's handpicked people, they can look at someone like DeSantis and be like, hey, this is like a reasonable, polished, well-presented person, and we can get behind him again. You know what I mean? So, I mean, he may like, he may like alienate some of like the most like ardent, you know, Trump supporters, which again, 
that that is a tiny percentage i think of the over you know the overall pop- population you get a DeSantis in there who essentially is the same policy wise, but again, plays to this respectability politics in a way that just Trump cannot. Couldn't Trump just double down back to his original platform and just say that? Because what he's argued in the past is that members within this within the swamp infiltrated his cabinet. I mean, how many people, Amarosa, his lawyer, um, William Barr, who didn't back Bill Barr or William Barr, I don't know which one it is, but Barr, the attorney general, he could argue, or even Mike Pence, he will, he could basically argue to his right-wing fans, you know, um, that, uh, hey, I actually wanted to do those things, but the deep state stopped me. And all he has to do is get one famous alt-right personality there, and then he boosts his old, like, uh, audience back. Because it's kind of like how Trapo kind of represents this uh, leftist center left, let's be honest, center left um, disdain that a lot of people historically have been part of the Democratic base. And the alt right represent the most honest right wing to the Republican Party. Um, they were like, for example, uh, who, who could I say? Nick Fuentes is to Trump as Pat Buchanan was to uh, uh, Bush Sr. You know, he's an ideological opponent, but he exists in the same political spectrum. And if he appeases to that, if Trump gets one person from the alt-right, the question is, who will he bring? And then just grabs him and says, hey, if you don't do this, you're fired. You know, he will easily win them back. Because remember, these people, some of them were Bernie Sanders supporters. Some of them were um democrats uh dixiecrats i guess neo dixiecrats that's what i like to call them right-wing democrats um so he doesn't have to be loyal to anything remember this man did softcore pornos like 10 15 years ago now he's talking about christian values like he doesn't and that's one thing i'm sorry if i'm pushing back against you uh brandon or it's like you know that trump doesn't believe in anything at the same time so he gets away with everything you know what i mean he's like the He's like uh, Mr. Pitsick in the Justice League. He's so an omnipotent beating that gets away with anything. What I, what I really wonder is if the QAnon base and the alt-right in general are increasing or decreasing over time. Because I could see any kind of number of scenarios. I could see that they are cu- killing themselves through catching COVID uh, like intentionally because they're so anti-vax. I could see any number of scenarios like they're spreading online because you know they're continuing to do their message and the more that Democrats win or at least they perceive that Democrats are winning and doing things that they don't like, then their message becomes stronger because they feel more victimized. You could tell me any number of things and I would believe it, and I think it would be almost impossible to get actual stats on it because it's also so dispersed. Like QAnon is not just QAnon anymore. QAnon has now spread out into so many other things that you have people who are believing a lot of the same things but would not in any way profess that they believe in QAnon or even maybe know what that is. And it's also infected the New Age movements in, in every way. Like, it's infected so many other things that I don't know if these are all people who would believe in alt-right conspiracy theories necessarily, but these are all probably people who would vote for Trump or DeSantis. And this mm-hmm. feud between them is nothing but good for everyone else. And so now, as much as I was like rooting for Trump to like get COVID or lock himself down in his Mar-a-Lago place while a hurricane hits, like now I kind of want him to stick around to at least 2024 and feud it out with DeSantis because that's fucking fantastic to just have the alt-right divided amongst the two. Like that's just, I can't picture that being a bad thing. It's great. No, it's great for everyone for sure. Yeah. And like at the end of the day, 
rooting. Like I pushed back. Like I don't care. I was just positing like a little idea about who DeSantis is and how I see him. But like at the end of the day, it'll be what it'll be. You know. Oh, yo, I understand. But um, with the what what I want to what I would also tell you, Nick Fuentes, you asked about the size of QAnon. QAnon is like that was a moment thing, like Pizzagate. Um, but what I would say about the alt right, the alt right has completely collapsed due to infighting with Nick Fuentes and Richard Spencer. Um, the Traditionalist Workers Party, Mike Hamback, he's a big pedo, incestual loser. He's gone. He's now a lib lib. He's a lib now advocating for black rights. Um, Richard Spencer is a paleo conservative Christian. Um, Nick Fuentes is in destiny orbiter. Can you believe that? A destiny orbiter. Yes, what does I that even mean? Oh, he's basically on Destiny's stream. He you look up Destiny Nick Fuentes. He lives in Destiny's house with his uh, you know open relationship right in front of him. He's a he talks about being he's literally a a, pun, a verbal punching bag like a he's the jester almost. If Destiny would be the king, Nick Fuentes is the jester. Nick Fuentes and I feel sad for his fans. That's the only fan base I feel sorry for because he took his gripers to uh, Thermal you know like 300 uh, spartans and instead yeah, of dying yeah. with them he basically said you know this is cool base red pilled but i gotta go i gotta go date my cat boy uh boyfriend cammy who puts on blackface and harasses black people online you guys can lose your bank accounts lose your right to a job and not on top of that be on a no flight list for forever potentially forever that's what happened uh the griper gang the american first committee <laughs> Now, the thing about Fuentes is he's the first one out of all the alt-right to actually create a political platform. Matt Heimbach, he hijacked the Traditionalist Workers Party from the boomers, from the old Nazi Amer Party of America. America first, all their people are now being fed-watched. They're on fed lists forever. None of them have jobs. And there was an infighting. There's a guy, an alt-right guy named Patrick Casey. If you watch his expose, he talks about how everyone... He never told us about us losing our jobs, people following us, Antifa knowing our faces, our names. Now, mind you, it wasn't Antifa. That's the, that's the right wing. Um, um, yeah, it's actually the feds. The feds will harass you way more than Antifa ever could. Well, yeah. And they do. You know, yeah. Nick Fuentes, he cannot leave the United States because he's on a no-fly list. And imagine, you know, he got off the no-fly list, but all 2,000 members of his Discord Patreon and the America First Committee members are actively under investigation. He fucked his own community over for fame. So yeah. Dude, the, only, the, the biggest guy, <laughs> remember Nick Fuentes, he was the trailblazer. He was the Tyler, the creator of the alt-right. <laughs> well, I mean, Nick Fuentes is still pretty popular, and I think he still has a community, but hold on, Root, real quick. Like, I want to use this to segue to talk about another because this is all getting into some very online shit. When like when you start talking about like destiny orbiters, like that's way too online for someone like Brandon who like works on fucking cars. Oh no, and no, shit. no like, I was just telling you no like, idea we're talking about. Right. Like, they're gone. They're no, no, gone. I get it. I, I appreciate it because gone. Jared Taylor, he's senile now. I understand all this stuff. Like I know who all these players are, and I'm sure probably most of our listeners are online enough that they get it too. But I just also want to talk about another what I consider alt-right figure who's very online. And let's talk about Caleb Malpin since he's trying to make a comeback and you actually have oh some more stuff God. to talk about with that. <laughs> I thought you would, would like to talk about it, but I also did want to see I was going to say that, you know, I don't know all these online figures are, are not very well, at least, but like, I think in, in summation, like 
the right can't really build an organic like grassroots movement without like fighting and cannibalizing each other um unless they have like you know billions of uh coke brothers money to to build an organization or whatever <laughs> yeah so so like in that in that respect we don't have that much to fear uh but then we also do because that kind of shit happens all the time uh when you know some billionaire or the feds or whatever pump a bunch of money into a movement like maybe yeah. patriotic socialism or whatever that whatever they're calling themselves this week you, mean, you know you mean like the german <laughs> oligarchs did with the nazis yeah <laughs> oh yeah yeah, exactly. yeah yeah i mean they purge internally all the time the alt-right it's it's the reason why the what's it called after charlottesville everyone just fell apart everyone was just nobodies remember chris cantwell the the antique and cap uh, you know shay lover yeah he's nobody now he's nobody he's a liberal now well he's also like in jail too i think yeah yeah, yeah. he tried to plead being a liberal just like um you know just like spencer Mom. spencer now tells people to vote democrat and he says that Biden will protect the Aryan peoples of Ukraine against the Slavic Asiatic horde. So basically, he's turned into well, he's not a entirely class wrong about that. Like. Something like that. Like, it's crazy, <laughs> dude. He's kind of crazy. On that clock, guys. Rudin, talk, talk about Malpin, because yeah. I know you wanted to talk about Malpin. Oh, yeah. I didn't yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you sent me that video. Now, I didn't watch it. Did you watch the video? And what does he say? I, watched, he, I know I he made a video. I watched entire video. I watched Maupin's entire And I watched Haas Infrared's entire video on it. I watch Flame of Liberation. He's that one guy that does a lot of Arab topics. Crazy yeah, thing good. I found out, he isn't he he's an Italian dude. He's not even Arab. You know that, right? Yeah, but I thought he was like I mean, he gets plugged on Ramiro Sebastian Funes' channel. I've never watched his stuff personally, but I know he's well, in you the know, comment he's section CGI there. Too. And... No, he's I did not know that. with Moppin and all that. Yeah. So this is what happened. It happened like PCUSA. The Moppin has a history. Um, Maupin tried to argue the spanking thing was a byproduct of him being raised in the South and him being like a, uh, him basically being a, what's it called? Uh, oh, you know, I was beaten a lot. And sometimes that our, our lived experiences and our trauma can be put into a sexual form. He talked about how a lot of the people, and this is another aspect people don't know. A lot of the people that were accusing Maupin. Um, there was supposedly an internal investigation and there was a committee, investigation committee on it within the CPI, but um, Flame of Liberation and multiple other people, um, basically they, they wanted to just like ham hammer it out in public before having an investigation internally. That's what caused the infrared people in the, C the Flame of Liberation wing of CPI to fight each other on. Because Samira Khan and Hajj told them to go about it, to go about it in an investigation, and they offered to give like actually financial support and uh, put like vocal support to the victims. But Moppin, I guess Moppin got very scared because it would have exposed him for you know kind of what he is. He tried to stop it as he tried to do what Angelo did in the PCUSA, where he just tried to say, "I'm the leader. You gotta listen to me." This is how we do things. We're a Bolshevik movement. Everyone knows that the leader gets an undeserved, unchallenged voice. Like, come on, man. And the ability to spank, you know, get spanked or whatever. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. Part yeah, of the, yeah. the leader carries. The leader makes his Politburo head carry a, a belt to spank his bottom with because 
he's telling them and that's asserting dominance it's not him being spanked like a bitch it's him being no when you said when you said he tried to attribute that to like his southern heritage like half of us just like turned our head 45 degrees like a dog would when you confuse them like. yeah as an ethiopian as an ethiopian where corporal punishment is actually advised by state health institutions in ethiopia for parenting i don't see there's no like bdsm bondage culture in ethiopia whatsoever there are entire brothels in the capital none of them do spanking that is a completely bourgeois western phenomenon <laughs> weird how that yeah. works there is no country that i know in the global south where there's that kind of culture. That is a Western culture. In fact, it's even rooted a little bit in racism and slavery, if you actually want to go dive, deep dive into it. There's a lot of Pan-African Marxists and socialists. I'll explain to you the, the racist uh, nature because those same people like to enjoy race play. But um, anyways, back to the mopping thing. Um, I was going to say real quick, uh, Rutan, just like yeah. back to the, uh, what do you call it, infighting being good for us. Like the fact that infrared is denouncing Caleb Malpin when they used to be bros. It's like, that's, again, fantastic for us. Like, to see the fucking Pat Sox, like, tearing at each other. Yeah, I mean, this is just, yeah. like, a great week. Like, not to say I'm, like, for the Democratic Party, but to see Republicans going at each other and to see the patriotic socialists going at each other, like, this is all just great news to me. This is fantastic. Hinkle, remember that Hinkle will leave this situation. Hinkle will literally leave this situation as the untouched hegemon of the Pat Sox movement. Infrared, I think, is aware that one at one point, Jackson's just going to throw him to the woods, just like another streamer named um, John Zerka, who, which made Infrared popular. Infrared did not become popular being a political theorist. He became popular going on uh, Twitch streams talking about masculinity. Like, he's basically a MGTOW guy that became a Marxist, versus yeah. how most MGTOW guys either turn into alt-rights, people like Rush V, or they become like uh, conservatives, like that guy, Amazing Lucas, the black conservative uh, bodybuilder weirdo guy. So I'm not aware of him, he is a very yeah. unique phenomenon. That's why you see him, the two holes theory meme made against Haas is because <laughs> he had this booby streamer basically explain to him what a clitoris is when he didn't know what it was. Yeah, he yeah, thought yeah. that this came out of the vagina. Like that, that was the joke. But back to the mocking situation. The urethra, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. He didn't even know, like, what it was. He thought it was just, like... But anyways, um, what happened was, is, uh, then Maupin, I guess, decided to, in a calculated fashion, invent a, a uh, account of a former girlfriend of Haas and try to falsely accuse him of rape, basically, so, at a CPI event in a hotel. So... He tried to pull a fake Me Too on Haas. And the credit where credit is due, Haas handled it perfectly without lying about Moppin. He just showed him all the DMs and conversations and basically exposed Moppin for trying to control the situation. But the thing is, Flame Liberation and the others tried to pin this narrative about um, Moppin and how he's, uh, I guess, super evil. Though he's fucked up, don't get me wrong. But... It's like some of the things didn't add up with their story because the CPUSA had a statement about what was going on within 15 hours before the event happened. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of murkiness in the water. What I think yeah. happened is someone in CPUSA just had it with Moppin and they coordinated with either Flame or someone within his camp to cause this to happen. Does this mean that Moppin is not a sexual predator? It doesn't disbunk it whatsoever. Get, please yeah. remember what I mean by that. I'm not trying to defend Moppin, but at the same time, it's like, 
it's like the civil war in Lebanon. Like there really is no clear answer on on like what who is who. But I would say is is that Mopin has a sexual problem. He's a sexual predator. Um, Flame of Liberation was an opportunist who took advantage of a rape sexual assault victim to take over the CPI so he can build his literal media presence up. Yeah. Um, and Haas was caught in the middle of it. But um, Flame understands that if he goes against Haas with all the shit that Haas has on him in the reverse, um, and supposedly Haas said he had photos and videos and texts of Flame doing very fucked up shit. Because you could also look up infrared his stream on it. He has a three-hour stream, which I listened to, um, just to hear the whole thing. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of like holes in everyone's boat, I guess you could say. Everyone's sinking. But I would say that out of the three boats, one with Haas, one with infrared, no, one with infrared, one with Mop, and one with Flame, Haas is the one that's sinking the least. Does anybody think it's like really weird and just such a crazy coincidence that like the patriotic socialist and this like really chauvinistic version of quote unquote Marxism tends to attract all these guys who are like fucking uh, incels and sexual predators and like. Oh, yeah. I mean, remember (laughs) the old Spartacus League, the Internationalist Spartacus League? You ever heard about them? No. All right, there's a there's a copycat of the OG Spartacus League, you know, the one that was led by Luxembourg. The one in America is a weirdo sex cult that has members in the central like leadership of NAMBLA, and they believe that any war of ISIS is an act of imperialism. Wait, wait. NAMBLA is a real thing? That's not it's just still like a, a real thing. <laughs> no, it's a real ass thing. Jesus. It's called the Internationalist Spartacus League. They literally have members. Um, they defend, they say it's an act of sexual freedom. They believe that the, act, the concept of uh, ages of consent is an act that is a tool of capitalism. Um, nice. So I'm not surprised. I, the only thing is, is that unlike the Internationalist Spartacus League, they're not like upfront about it. And it's a product of bad leadership. Whereas the Spartacus League, it's part of their ideology, if you know what I mean. Oof. But to make a final note on Mopin. What I really think is, given like the traffic on his media, the fact that people that I know that follow him, his people are unfazed. The Moppin fans are unfazed. They're not, they probably took like a 20% drop in like manpower, but it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like the Battle of the Bulge. You know, you may have defeated the CPI, but Moppin and his group, you're going you're gonna to be having to get ready for the Ardennes offensive, if you catch what I mean. For those like, who don't know military history, it's when the Germans, after losing the Battle of the Bulge, in some act of total, total chud, the first chuds were the Nazis, let's be honest, of just chud ego, they, they sent half a, a quarter of a million young German men into a death uh, offensive against the Americans, and it failed miserably. So, I mean, you know. since we're talking about, like, I don't know. We're making pretty like grandiose comparisons to this. I mean, like, how many people are we talking about in terms of like what's mopping? CPI, CPI is. Um, I'm talking about the the rank and file of CPI. They're the size of PCUSA. They have like two, three hundred people, maybe fifteen hundred when they before this event, but it's yeah. now dropped to like a couple hundred. Um, yeah. Oh, there are people in CPUSA. It is literally Order sixty six. Even people yeah. that barely associate with CPR are getting thrown the fuck I, out. I mean, I guess I went, the way I look at this shit, like, you know, from whatever importance we can ascribe to ourselves in terms of talking about this stuff on a podcast, like, yeah, it's definitely important to, like, 
combat these ideas and things like that. But like on a personal like level or, you know, a political movement level, I guess, in terms of what this organization is actually comprised of and how many people it sounds like they've got and the kind of fringe elements that they attract and the weirdo ideas that they kind of come up with and spew out there, I guess, from that perspective, I'm not super worried about them based on what you've seen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the sad thing is when I was in PCUSA and I was supposed to be a member of the international delegation to Western Sahara to meet with the Polisario Front, although my passport fucked me over because it was expired, we were literally told to make sure that Mopin avoid and just be as nice and charitable to Mopin's people as you can. Because the thing about Mopin, and this is some conspiracy theory people have, is that he's CPI is just a proxy of like some type of like, you know how like uh, America, um, when they invaded Iraq, they supported uh, Chalabi and they created mm. the Iraqi National Council as this pseudo opposition to Saddam, even though there were genuine oppositions to Saddam Hussein. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Some people believe that given that Ahaz and Mopin are always put on CGTN, the Chinese global television news, people think that he might be like just a kind of a paid proxy but i don't believe that shit because you know those same people talk about how there is a Uyghur genocide and that uh there's a famine in cuba right like literally right now yeah. so it's like no i just think that he has he's good he's the new laroche let's just be honest he's the new laroche i mean they are a literal subset of larushites you know it's and... funny they had an internal fight over larush sorry for interrupting you the Larushites tried to take over CPI and they got shit. They got run the fuck out. I don't know why they didn't. They're the same fucking thing. But I mean, again, if it just goes back to fucking infighting, also fucking great. But like to your point, Nick, like I think that is a really good thing about it is that there are very small amounts of people that we're dealing with here. Like it's a good like lesson said, too. Yeah, I remember just the last couple of weeks, I've just been walking around thinking to myself, like while I'm listening to podcasts, I'm like, wow, I haven't heard anything from the Patsocks lately. Like, as much as they were crowing a few weeks ago, or even just, like, I don't know, it couldn't have been that long ago, because we were talking about them recently. And it's, like, as loud as they were and obnoxious as they were, they have been super quiet. Like, I just have not heard a peep out of all the fucking Pat Socks. They just seem to have disappeared. And I feel like, I mean, great. And I don't know if that's, like, foreboding, if they're, like, planning some kind of big comeback or something, like Caleb is or whatever. But, yeah, so far, so good. And to hear that they're infighting amongst each other and they're just kind of dividing, that's, that's also great news, too. But um, the, the thing is, is um, when I want to say this, and I think I kind of had a little bit of a arguments with some of the people on the turn leftist discord. I know some of these people, CPI people, infrared people. I would say out of all of them, 80% of them are just like on paper anti-imperialist. They just hate U.S. imperialism, which whether or not they're doing it in good faith is a good belief. Nonetheless, it's like it's like meeting a conservative who believes in universal healthcare? Like, I'm happy. I don't agree with your ideology, but I'm happy we can agree on this one position. But like 20 to 30% yeah. of them are just genuine. And I have to say this, and I have to emphasize this. They are genuine Marxist-Leninists who are just completely dissatisfied with Western Marxism-Leninism. Because I have to say this, but the way Marxist-Leninists are in the West, especially in North America, are they're, other than maybe Canada and America, Mexico... Uh, or I would say even the West in general, like Western Europe, or at least most of Western Europe, they're really not MLs. So Moppin is kind of like the cope that they have. They get the shit on bread tube and left tube while still like 
holding the banner as the true leftist movement. Because let's be honest, most of leftists in America up until like the 21st century were MLs. Now it's like there's these anarchists, there are these, uh, there's these, uh, sig- not synthetic left like what Maupin says, but there's this syncretic leftists who are some days ANCOM, some days MLs, you know? And like ANCOMs that jerk off about Sankara, basically, is what I'm saying. And they yeah. fuck the left up. The other thing I wanted to say is like when I was saying we're dealing with very small numbers of people, like if you're saying that it's the CPI and all these patriarch socialists and their org or whatever, or this few hundreds of people, like we are literally getting more listens on these episodes than their entire group. Like every time we put one of these out. So like that's a comfort. Not to like not that I like to talk about fucking traffic and stats here on these things, but like that is comforting to know. And we are I would consider us fucking small time. Like like doing this little fucking thing that we're doing here. Absolutely. So that is just a comfort. But I wanted to move on and talk about a different topic. Can we um what else did I have here? Brian, what was the thing that you had? Because I, I thought it was going to be something that we might be able to finish up in the next twenty. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of off topic. This is just something I've been thinking about lately. And um, maybe someone, maybe a listener that's read more theory than me can chime in and tell me that I'm wrong or or that Gramsci already thought about this 100 years ago or whatever. Um, you know, email me, uh, carsandcomrades at gmail.com. But, um, you know, we all know, like, the idea that there is no such thing as the good old days. Like, the conservatives are always talking about like we got to make america great again we got to return to some imaginary past where things were good and i feel like i feel like communists can sometimes fall into that uh same sort of fallacy or whatever you want to call it that mistake um especially uh i'm not pointing any fingers here but uh trotskyists can sometimes make this mistake that you know, I don't the... think anyone's a Trotskyist here. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> just, I'm just trying to be diplomatic. Guys, I have something to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, revanchism. Okay, yeah, that's a good word for it. Um, but uh, but yeah, like some people will say, okay, yeah, the Soviet Union was great until uh, Stalin took over or whatever. And I, I, the more I learn about history and and read theory, the more I I feel like. There was no good old days. There was no perfect shining city on a hill that we can look to as a perfect model to emulate. Every movement, every revolution, every country, every leader or a theoretician always got it wrong some way or another. You know, Marx made mistakes, Lenin made mistakes, Stalin, Mao, everyone made mistakes. That's that's a little bit comforting to me that they're all just human beings working with their own understanding of the world and their own theory. And sometimes they got it really right. And sometimes they got it wrong. Um, But I mean, it can be a little bit depressing that like, okay, yeah, no, there's no perfect individual that we can, uh, you know, copy or whatever, but it it also is a little bit freeing. Um, And I don't know, maybe you can tell me uh, what your thoughts are on that. And if I'm wrong or right or expand on it. I mean, I don't know, man. I think it's a perfectly materialist take in the sense that you're, you know, when a revolution happens or a new government is built, we're talking about people making their own history, dealing with the specific set of circumstances, you know, in a given time, right? So, of course, the revolution, the Bolshevik revolution is not going to perfectly map onto a theoretical 
revolution in you know this United States of America or whatever it would be after the fact, inshallah, that it's not anything akin near <laughs> akin to what it would you know <laughs> what it is right now, right? But you know, th- I think, and I think that's a problem with like the Western left broadly is that you know, and, and it plays into this whole uh, Orientalist idea. I think that a lot of people Orientalist trap that a lot of people fall into, right, where they're trying to ascribe like some kind of like purity to a revolution and they're comfortable you know, writing or theorizing about what it would have looked like without actually have been on the ground, right? It's like, it's why I get pissed off and Cal Collective or whatever, and apologize if I'm saying that wrong, had a good take on this about China, right? And it's like, oh, you want to, you know, you want to like say, oh, Xi Jinping should be doing this. Deng should have never done that, right? Here's where China fucked up. And it's like, well, can't we just like recognize what they've done for people, for working class people, right? Sure, it's not a perfect socialist society and things like that, right? But like, let's like look at this as, you know, something that's happening in real time, people dealing with real and changing global conditions at this point, right? And just take the good from that, right? And recognize that not everyone or everything involved in this is going to be perfect and pure to your standards, right? So I don't know if that tags onto your point perfectly or anything like that, but that's just what resonated with me. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the it's a big contradiction between dogmatism and then the actual materialism. Like when you interpret the theory and then apply it to the on-the-ground circumstances and try to make that match as best as you can without losing your project, without sacrificing your project to idealism and falling to either external sources or internal, like the left comms who are just going to, I don't know, haggle you into like paralysis like you can criticize something you can criticize any plan of action to the point that you do nothing and you know go to any fucking like uh what's like an org that we will make fun of dsa i guess is like the stereotypical one um but i i still don't even think they're all that bad like we've had them on the fucking show they were fine but if you wanted to like make fun of an org and say that they're just like sitting talking about points of order and endlessly you know fawning over quibbles you know to make sure that they're accepting of every point of view to the point that they get nothing done it's like that is literally the the u.s intelligence playbook for how to dismantle and infiltrate and neutralize leftist orgs is to do that and so hopefully if you have any kind of project of a socialist nature at any scale you are avoiding that and you are actually proceeding and making progress and hopefully what you're doing to do that and what you are sacrificing is not something that is like inherent to Marxism. You're not sacrificing the ideological principles of it. But uh, let me go with you, Brandon, then Brian. I mean, then Nick, sorry. Uh, I don't really like read a, a lot because I have a really hard time sitting down focusing and, and I just stay busy all the time. When I'm able to read across the board, I read theory or I read U.S. leftist history for the specific purpose of it does two things. One, it gives you a genuine idea of what the left has looked like in the US over the last hundred years. And when you get a better picture of what that looks like, our ideas and our our beliefs, our movement looks a lot more tangible and realistic because you see that like in the past, we have built a lot of momentum with the same people that now you would say like, oh, well, those people are never going to be like leftists. Like, no, they, they in the past were. And it also shows you somewhat of a roadmap, like specifically... I love reading about the Rainbow Coalition, like Fred Hampton's thing in Chicago, because it shows you very specifically what it looks like when an organization is doing such good work that the only way to kill their momentum is to kill them. 
Like, cause they weren't just doing theoretical work. They were on the ground. They were feeding kids. They were doing clothing drives. They were doing shit like setting up lawyers offices so that people in the community could have free legal consultations. Like they were doing like the on it, like the hard work, the footwork, like they were following uh, cops armed to the teeth to make sure they were like <laughs> conducting themselves properly when they stopped people. Dude. Yeah. And like, e even beyond just that, like the fact that there was like real, like racial divides in Chicago, they were figuring out ways to deal with that, embrace it and make it work for them. Um, so like, it's good to like humanize people, but like, yeah, there, there's a lot of times when, when theory cannot be applied perfectly and you just go as perfectly as you can. And when you can't go perfectly, you do the thing that benefits people. Yeah. I mean, go ahead, Mike. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so it's just, it's interesting because it's like, it's, it's complicated to talk about, right? Because you don't want to fall into the trap of like romanticizing the past, right? in from like an idealistic um you know hearkening back because i think that can really lead to some reactionary places but as you guys are saying you want to learn from the past right look at those tactics and analyze those conditions right and then see if there's anything that we can do with those to adapt and apply them to the conditions that we're facing today right so and i think you know with the pat sock stuff you get into this place where it's like they'll call back to like the USSR and be like, well, you know, Stalin believed this. And it's like, you know, I have a lot of respect for comrade Stalin and what he did and is given, you know, in the, in that set of conditions at the time and things like that. But, you know, given like the social advances that we've made and things like that, I mean, why, why try to map those particular set of beliefs, especially on like the social end. And again, in, in a given context, you have to look at an individual country or a given place, but why try to map those things one-to-one -one, right and it's That's in the, the same point way that i was trying to make right <laughs> no and you said it you i'm just repeating what you kind of already said already you know what i mean but and then just to go on a little bit you mentioned trotsky and it's like i guess from like an academic perspective it's kind of fun to sit and theorize about like what would have happened you know if trotsky somehow took over from stalin but it's purely academic and like a thought experiment because that is not what fucking happened so it's not <laughs> relevant to what we're facing today you know what I mean? Yeah. So to build a political project around this idea of what might have been and what a, you know, disgraced kind of political opponent wrote about, you know, the Russian Revolution after the fact and what was going on in Russia at the time, like to build, you know, your ideology out of that just is a historical and I think not useful. Yeah, and and that's kind of actually what got me thinking about this cuz I was I was thinking of writing an alternate history novel and i'll probably never do this because i have add and i'm not very organized and i'm busy with other stuff but i was thinking of like what would what would uh like a communist revolution look like in america and when would that happen in history like you know Around 1970 it would have just been fred hampton lived <laughs> yeah. yeah and and i was looking more at like late 19th early 20th century and i'm like okay there's different revolutionary potentials but like also america was not ready or at least white america was not ready to deal with like the legacy of colonialism and slavery and like actually address those concerns because like you know um what's it called reconstruction uh failed yeah. and and was co-opted and everything um so i'm like okay yeah no there's no 
<laughs> America has been shitty from the beginning and, and continues to be. Um, but that's kind of my jumping off point. And, and like, we can apply that kind of same thinking to other, like the USSR, like uh, there was no, I mean, there was a revolution there. So things did happen, but like it, it, I don't know. I don't know if that's a one-to-one -one comparison. So never mind. Since, since Dixieland of the proletariat is not with us, I have to say it. After the Civil War, the South should have had a cultural revolution. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I know. I mean, kind of to your point, Brian. Maybe tangentially, communism is just like something that springs up in people, even if they don't have access to theory. As long as that contradiction is there, as long as they are being exploited, they're going to find it inherently, and that's what's like kind of comforting about it is that. Um, like, while there is no human nature, both the Marxist theory and also even, like, the fucking cringe and cap libertarian stuff, that's kind of inherent to people, too. Like, there are always going to be assholes who try to use systems of, like, legalese and shit who, like, make up rules and do stupid shit where they, like, have rituals, whether it's writing it down on paper or it could even be something like, I don't know, it could be shamans or something in, like, a... A tribal territory like if they use some rules to their advantage that allows them to use hierarchy in a way that exploits other people then it's creating that conflict and then somebody else will come up with the marxist theory that's relevant at the time because they know that it's wrong they're feeling exploited and they their material conditions tell them that it's wrong for this other person to be not doing anything and reaping the benefits of their labor because that's just how it works. You can't avoid the physics of these transactions. Is how it like, as much as the uh, the sorry, I had a debate with Praxben earlier this week, and I'm looking forward to to getting back with him because like the little slideshow <laughs> that he brought was so weak. It was like it was like fifth grade level, as in like he selected three random socialist countries and cherry picked some things that they did wrong, and then denied any involvement from like the U.S. as to like why those things happened. Like he mentioned Allende and like acted like the CIA and the U.S. had no involvement in overthrowing him. And I'm like, okay, but but like, <laughs> since I didn't have like a slideshow ready to describe like the U.S. involvement in Allende's uh, overthrow because I didn't know that he was going to bring it up, then his fans were all like, oh my god, turn left just got totally owned. I'm like, oh, okay, well next time we get together, we'll see if I can prove whatsoever that the U.S. was involved in that. My point is. These people have to make their cases by lying and purposely selecting things. And as much as they want to claim that capitalism will always exist because there will always be trade and there will always be people like buying and selling things, which is true, there will always be people who rebel against exploitation. You cannot avoid that. You have to resolve the class conflict. And the only way to do that is through authoritarian Marxism. And you have to do it over generations and the state has to wither away. And, you know, not to get too involved in like the books that Brandon was just holding up a second ago, but like, yeah, whether you have the theory or not, the fact that this keeps springing up in people definitely gives me a lot of hope. And so dogmatic or not, your constituents will let you know. If your project is getting too caught up in the weeds of the theory and trying to apply it wrong, then the people you were exploiting to do that will fucking let you know and you will have to adjust accordingly. So I just like to I like that aspect about the immortal science and materialism. Yeah, I mean, to what you said, uh, Mike, like there have been peasant uprisings and slave revolts, you know, since before. Marx was born. So like, this is nothing new, like people who are exploited can realize that it's a shitty deal and try to deal with it with whatever knowledge that they have. Um, but <laughs> you mentioned those debates with uh, Praxben, like, I've listened to a bunch of those. And it's it's really hard to listen to their their, their, you know, cringy bullshit and just be like, I just want to like yell at my phone, like you, <laughs> you fucking idiots, like, 
do you like know history? Like, do you actually know they what don't. happened? <laughs> and they I almost not. want to go on one of those shows with with you and just like tell like this is the history of capitalism. Like it started. I've, with... I've listened to some and it goes so far <laughs> off the rails. I'm forced to be like, wait, do I just not know history at all, or is this person <laughs> this stupid? Yeah. Also, in terms of you saying like people innately understand like Marxism to some degree, like I think I realized that when, you know, every bathroom I've ever gone into always has a boss makes a dollar, I make a dime comment. And that person probably didn't read Marx. They just knew, intuitively knew. That's the that's the biggest thing that's so frustrating to me is seeing how many Americans innately have this class consciousness, but they're so steered away from it through Red Scare and communist anti-communist propaganda that they just it's it's so crazy watching people just like really hit that stumbling block and the desperate ways that they try to avoid class consciousness and they do conspiracy theories or they have like these crazy like spirituality interpretations of everything it is just wild watching individualism do such a number on people but what did you have nick no i mean just to that point like i don't know it's just why it's so important to have like a robust education system because when you have these conversations with people like yeah you get close and you know I, I have these conversations a lot and I try to do the thing where like I just try to tease out like to find out where people are at to try to you know have that conversation and get to that and you know a lot of the things like yeah you talk to some people and some of their instincts on like crime immigration things like that they're they're reactionary but you know they're to put it into context they're friggin bombarded with all this shit from you know, every, you know, every news channel, et cetera, et cetera. And like those kind of things can be retaught, unlearned, you know what I mean? In the right society. People you know? can be re-educated. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like, but that's all my point is that like people's instincts are broadly very good. And that's like the beauty of Marxism. And it's like, I guess at this point, you know, when we're looking, you know, 200 years or, you know, 150 years from or whenever the fuck it was written from when capital actually came out. Right. It's like, yeah, the working class has figured out ways to improve their lot in different ways. You know, sure, it was like the, you know, the industrialized proletariat in Russia. But just because it was like a peasant led revolution in China or in many other places throughout, you know, Asia and Africa doesn't mean Marx would be like, Oh, you guys didn't do it my way. It wasn't the proletariat, you know, go back and, you know, suffer again until the proletariat's actually ready to do it. No, it's adapting oh. and it's evolving based on given conditions. Marx was the, the OG the day, shit poster. He would have had something to say about all of it. But <laughs> yeah, but I'm, all I'm saying is at the end of the day, what it's all about is improving the lot of working people, however you fucking do it, right? Without being oppressive towards, you know, marginalized groups. And also redacting rich people. Well, that's that's part and parcel. A lot of that. <laughs> but that's why it's so freeing, right? Because it's like it's it's always evolving. Hell yeah. You're freeing yeah. them from the burden of their wealth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, that's true. I mean, like, didn't Marx or someone wrote about like how like the bourgeois are like, you know, a victim of their wealth in some way, you know, right? Mm -hmm. So that's that's a real thing. Okay, so we've have found one case I'm very comfortable with victim blaming. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is the case of any systemic thing, right? Whether you even remove the individual people who are bad actors, like the the conditions would continue. You know, I mean, you remove yeah. all the racists, you remove all the predatory wealthy people, that's the system will still continue that way. But um, no, I was just going to ask if anybody else had anything. Otherwise, I was going to uh, wrap it up.
All right. They're all in the bot right here, but uh, thank you guys. See everyone next time. Take care. Good to see you. you guys. Take care.